Hi, welcome to our Projections podcast mini-sode. Mary and I are working hard to research, plan and record the next series of episodes right now, but we don't want you to forget us, so we're releasing these weekly mini-sodes where we watch new releases or films that we missed for the first time, then record our thoughts, opinions and often tangential conversations afterwards. Thank you for listening to us and remember to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, rate and review us and generally show us you care. Bye! Okay. Hi Mary. Hi Sarah. We are here to talk about my favourite film of the London Film Festival. And mine. Cam. The standout film of the festival this year. Oh god, it was so good. And I think everyone thinks so. I've heard other people talking about it. Yeah. And now it's on Netflix. Yep. Go watch it. Go watch it. Um, I think think it's going to make quite a big hit. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And this is really an incredible collaboration between the director, Daniel Goldhaber, and the writer of the film, Issa Matsei. So it's interesting because they say that they share the responsibility in terms of their vision and it's really harmoniously kind of um, a great collaboration between the two of them. Yeah, which is very much the opposite of the, um, some of the auteur Absolutely. we tend to have on, you know, we tend yeah. to talk about. It's, it's, it seems to be that very, it's very opposite of that, what I what I think is quite a misogynistic yeah. idea. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one, one usually yeah. man being in charge of everyone and everyone else's <laughs> like health and safety being sacrificed <laughs> to the vision of this one person. I know. I'm a bit more of a sadist, so I quite yeah, like that. Like <laughs> <laughs> but here we have, so it's an American psychological thriller film with a lot of horror tropes mm-hmm. thrown in. Um, and it stars the amazing Madeline Brewer. She's so good. Has she been oh in other things? Oh my God. So yeah, so she's been in uh, a few TV stuff. Mm-hmm. I think she was, wasn't she in The Handmaid's Tale? Oh, maybe she was. I haven't seen it yet, which is terrible. I know I need to watch it, but. You know. I want to say she was in that. Mm-hmm. Um, she just is a, a fabulous performer, and she plays a cam girl who discovers that she's been inexplicably replaced on her own site with an exact replica of herself. Do we need to explain cam girl to some of our Let's more explain. innocent audience members, yes. or maybe older? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Actually, some people my age didn't know what a cam girl was. <laughs> No, let's do it. Let's do it at least for the benefit of my husband, who has no idea what it is. Oh, Paul. <laughs> because he's a sweet Innocent Paul. Kiwi from New Zealand. Oh, so, so sweet. Cute. Anyway, um, how would you describe it? A cam girl? Cam girl. So, this is, now we're in the realm of, like, internet pornography. Yeah, but also kind of sex work. Well, I guess, sex, I guess yeah. porn, porn stars are sex workers. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what that term encompasses. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, they're performers who... Uh, appear live mm-hmm. on websites and they have their own channels. It's a bit like YouTube, but um, and more live streaming and they perform risque acts and performances. Risque acts. Very nice. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to start saying that for everything. I know. It's so risque. Yeah. After, after we've recorded, I'm going to tell you about some risque acts that I performed last week. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um... But, but the interesting thing about cam, girl, um, the cam girls is that they also are getting paid, right? So Yeah, so it's almost kind of, it's almost an on-demand service, mm-hmm. but I mean, as in, it's almost like tailored for you, you know, you can request and you can pay yeah. for various different things, you Yeah. Know? Um, but there's a lot of you in the room at a time, in the whatever, in the yeah, the room. The I room. suppose the, it's like the a chat virtual room, room or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you're you're buying with other other people exactly. to get your you know to get your voice heard and to you know to spend most amount of money. To, yeah. You know to have some recognition from these girls. There's actually a really good book um, mm. called Future Sex. Yeah. That I read. I can't remember who the writer is, mm. but it was sort of a like a personal. It was. It was. A kind of personal memoir slash kind of journalistic exploration mm-hmm. by a woman, um, and it was kind of about the idea that without, I think she sort of turned thirty and started thinking about without traditional relationship structures. You know, if she doesn't get married, which mm. is you know it seems feasible, she doesn't have children. If she doesn't. If she doesn't have a lo- one long-term relationship, she settles in too soon. What are the alternatives? Yeah. So she does these. You know, she looks at these various different sort of communities, and one of them is 
camgirls. Ah. Yeah, she does looks sort of polyamory. Oh, that's interesting. She goes to Burning Man and like has loads of casual sex. And um, but camgirls is was a it's a brilliant chapter. It made me laugh out loud. There was just this this description of this one camgirl who, you know, sort of just appeared in like American Apparel leotards and you know and and sort of her her bit her thing was just being in depths of existential depression <laughs> and all of these like you know set like boys who you know think yeah. they're really sensitive but they're actually just incels like all like recommend books to her and and, oh and you know like try and cheer her up and that's the, that's how she you know that's her bit that's her thing that she's just you know she just like needs saving she needs someone to understand the, you know the depth of her personality wow. and all these guys think they can <laughs> and it's so they try amazing. to outbid each other yeah they, kind of, yeah they try to like oh out God. they try to out you know intellectualize each other you know like you know they <laughs> recommend her movies they recommend her books they you know out mansplain each other um you know and it just it was it made That's me laugh hilarious. out loud i loved it that so girl much. is an evil genius she's <laughs> I, I she's she is such a genius. I, and, and, I wish you know, I'd thought of that. And they never, they, you know, the, it's all anonymous. You can't find a cam girl in real yeah. life, you know, which is very good because, yeah. you know, in this film there's a lot of safety issues. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she, you know, she was online one day, she goes away and you know, gives up and never comes back and no one knows who she is. She cannot be tracked down. Exactly. So she's interesting. You know, complete mysteries. Oh, I would. Uh, yeah, that's a book I'd recommend. Future I'll put sex. it. On, I'll put it. We'll put it on the Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. We'll start doing that with some of the books yeah, we read. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so in this film, yeah, um, there is a sort of a. It's a really interesting film, partly because it's. The, I mean, you're seeing it more and more these days, but there's still a relatively small amount of films about the internet. Yeah. And that sort of, the, and it, I think it explores the aesthetics of the internet in a oh, very, yeah. very unique way. Because yeah. it can, you know, I'm sort of thinking about... The sounds, the emojis. Yeah, the sounds. And it's all, it's very, it's this very strange... It almost reminded me, actually, of this 90s film. Did you ever see a film called Virtual Sexuality? No. It's a British film. Um, I remember it was sort of, I think it's like a film four film because I had film four at my house for like this beautiful blissful year (laughs) where we like, we suddenly had enough money to have digital TV. Um, And I, it was just this sort of early 2000s time of really interesting British films. Mm. And there was always a lot of really good stuff. And I think if I watched this film again, I would see that it's not very good. But it had um, Rupert per- Perry Jones, whatever his name is, Rupert Perry Jones, I think, uh-huh. who eventually was in Spooks and oh, in a couple right. of films. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and it was about a girl who went into, who went to a sort of, who was taken on a date or a day out to um, this sort of virtual reality convention and she gets into this machine where you can make a you can make a, a you can make a person, mm-hmm. and so she makes her ideal lover. And the whole point is that she's a virgin and she wants to lose her virginity and she can't find anyone to lose virginity with. And so she makes this this image of this this beautiful blonde boy with huge penis. <laughs> and um, then something something happens. It's like this 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 uh, like all the electricity goes haywire or something. <laughs> And uh, or like the the building it like blows up or something, oh, and right. she gets out of the building and and um and uh goes home and out of the machine steps this this man she's made made real. Oh my god! Um, but it's no oh, but it's like but it's her. It's like so it's it's her personality inside this man. Oh my god! But then she's still running around as herself as like a different <gasps> self. It's so good. Virtual and it has sexuality. virtual sexuality, and the reason is that it has all of these like weird sound effects. There's a bit where she's making his penis bigger in the <laughs> in the machine, and it goes, and it like it's just it's it's full of all these little pops. And yeah, things. but kind of before there was an internet sound, because you know it's sort mm-hmm. of early two thousands. There wasn't, they weren't, you know, no. so many of those sounds. Um, it's a really interesting. It's a really good film. Oh my god! Um, but it's also just this, this terrible teen movie about people trying to lose their virginities. That's basically, so funny. and this—I don't know—it's great because 
Yeah, because it's really interesting the the way that sound functions in cam. Mm-hmm. It's got that kind of Pavlovian conditioning thing yes. going on, like this. That is what they said was the. That's was, right. Was their intention. That was their intention. Yeah. So we can already start to uh, anticipate things from mm-hmm. sounds that we're hearing, and I mean, we we were lucky enough that we got a lot of insight uh, speaking to the uh, director and the screenwriter, mm-hmm. which you'll be hearing alongside our conversation separately here. The one thing that I really regret not, you know, not discussing with them, um, I mean, it's actually quite a minor thing, mm-hmm. but I wondered if you, what you thought of this. And for those of you who've watched the film already on Netflix, uh, I'd love to, to know your opinion too. It's the appearance of a, a certain object at very crucial moments, the fan. So, you know, like when... Um, so the setup is that we have this girl, she goes by Lola, Mm -hmm. right? That's her, that's her cam girl performer name. And she's very competitive, right? She wants to get the top spot in the rankings among the other cam girls. She's, we we see her starting off like in the kind of sixties or something, or she, she wants, she, she wants to break into the top 10. Into the top 10. That's her goal. Um, and she's kind of working her way through it, and she's always trying to come up with better and bigger antics mm-hmm. to get more views uh, and to get bigger tips and everything. But she also builds her fan base, right? So the word fan already, for me, strikes me as psychoanalytically relevant because mm-hmm. she's preoccupied with her fan base. But when things start to go weird... Precisely at the moment when, like the day after she goes on the, is the Vibratron? I think so, yeah. And then, she, you know, she, she, she has this pretty, uh, let's say, actually quite a successful performance yeah. because she, she breaks into the 40s, into the top 40s. Um, the next morning, when she, it's just before she realizes that she's been logged out of all her accounts, the camera is fixated on a ceiling fan. Oh, I didn't notice that at all. Yeah. Mm. It's fixated. It stays there lingering for a very long time. And then it spans down on her on her bed. Mm-hmm. And then she wakes up and realizes she's been locked out. And she can't en- re-enter. So she's kind of lost touch with her online per- performer persona. Mm-hmm. Right? There's this kind of weird separation. She realizes she's also been copied so there's this weird algorithm we never really fully understand what's caused this Mm -hmm. but there's so many scenes of this you know this duplicate of herself performing and actually being very popular um getting a lot of tips moving up in the rankings something that she has no control over right this weird other kind of cipher right but she has a bunch of fans these like feathery fans, you know when she does, yeah. Do you remember when she um, just before she, the the kind of let let's call her the fake Lola, yeah, yeah, um, the digital her digital version of herself, just before she um, in a sense reimagines the suicide scenario, right, where she uh, the real Lola. Um, slices her throat, you know, as a fake suicide thing. And then the digital one uses a gun. Yeah, and she blows her brains out. Just before she reveals the weapon, it's behind the fan. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you're really you're right. Right? Okay. Then the next time the fan the feathery fan reappears is w- when she's with Baby, who's the number one mm-hmm. performer on this website, which turns out she it turns out that she's also been copied because the real person behind the real baby has, has actually been dead mm-hmm. uh, for a while. There's a scene where the two of them appear together uh, on the internet screen and they're kind of like teasing each other behind the fan. They're like whispering to each other and uh, it's very teasing. Mm-hmm. And then the fan appears again at the very end when um, Lola successfully reclaims her identity. What is her real name, by the way? Is it Alice, Alice right? Yeah. So the Alice already has a lot of like Alice in Wonderland components to it, but it's the fact that her surname is is it Ackerman? Yes, 
Alice Ackerman. That makes me think of Chantal Ackerman, like the filmmaker, the French filmmaker. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Well, well she this... is. She is like an auteur. In she the film. is. She has this, you know, this set that she's created. This beautiful pink room with the, you know, the absolutely heart-shaped light. She's a director. And, you know, she's incredible. Yeah, that's true. Actually, this is, this is another. You know, obviously, you're not listening to them at the same time, but we just talked about the house that Jack built, which is a, yeah. a you know, film by an, an auteur, yeah. which is you know where he's putting himself in the character. But she's definitely she is a director. She's a director, and she mm-hmm. and and it's a very autorial process because she makes a decision about everything: mm-hmm. her script, her mise en scène, her costumes. She's um, like Diana Biller of sex work. She is yeah. very much so, absolutely. And in a sense, while Chantal Ackerman was famously, mm. you know, had this autorial vision, this very kind of distinct vision that you absolutely knew you were in a Chantal Ackerman film. There was no question about it. Um, so I just wondered, like, what is this business with the fans? Because we know that things start to get a little bit scary when she sees one of her fans, like, mm. following her around in in her town. Yeah. There are two... There are two uh sort of interactions with fans or well, there yeah. are two fans just two fans that yeah. are that are, are different <laughs> different terrible versions of masculinity yeah um one is sort of an aggressive um angry yeah bitter version and arrogant and, like he yeah. tells her that he made her yeah or something and then there's another one that is 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 possibly dangerous you know yeah. but, is, but in a more pathetic way yeah um yeah, in a more self-pitying way. Yeah, he's he he kind of well, he does stalk he her. her, and he stalks her. Yeah, he has this sort of emotional need. Yeah, for for her basically. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's really good. Do you know? Have you finished your theory? Are you are you uh, throwing it around? I'm kind of like because I like the fact that the the major drama in the film in terms of the identity theft mm-hmm. and the identity confusion the blurring of those lines occurs in this kind of bookended space in the film between two ceiling fans and then two feather fans inside mm-hmm. like within that i don't know i don't know what my theory is it's some kind of because i think that the fan itself like the feather one is a prop right in a performance and it's a kind of shield. Mm. It's, a, it's a kind of like protective device that sets boundaries between the character and their performance. And I think maybe a lot of the horror elements in the film occur when maybe the character of Alice, she fails to set those distinctive marks between mm. herself and her real, like her, her performance and her real life. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, she's being followed or like when, when she she's not able to put makeup on or for whatever reason, like she, she neglects her makeup routine or whatever for her performance. It doesn't establish those kinds of, um, I guess, healthy lines mm. to kind of demarcate uh, what's for, what's just pure fantasy and what's actually the territory of her real life. Mm. When things start to get really scary it's in, in moments when these digital versions of of Lola and Baby are going into the bedroom. Well, they're creeping into the bedroom. Yeah. They're like they're bleeding out into other areas of the life. Mm. But I think that is what mm. I mean. Uh, that is what is scary about sex work. Absolutely. And that's something that I think that's actually something that I feel. Um, you're. I mean, I. I almost feel like these days you're almost shamed for having any kind of reservations about sex work. Yeah. You know, and that I, I, you know, I'm someone that feels that, you know, when um the American government was trying to shut down all of the, all of the, the websites, the sort of well, I can't remember what the website was called where mm. people, people made you know arrangements for prostitutes. Yeah. But you know, I think that that's a terrible thing to happen because yeah, you know absolutely. the safety of, of, of people is the most important thing. Yeah. On the other hand, I don't think sex workers without is it's problems and yeah. one of those problems especially for women yeah. is that is that sort of confusion between what you've you know these things that you've always had drummed into you about your worth being not just not just simple in a simplistic way about your attractiveness but in your ability to make people like you yeah it's and what else what else is sex work but yeah 
you know, to profesh people professionally making yeah. others like them. Yeah. And that is that's the thing that's you know, if you're you're that's the thing that you can't you can't separate. You know, you yeah. can say you can you and you know I mean, it is very empowering for people. It's very empowering for women to be able to make a lot of money. Oh it's, yes. you know it's wonderful. Women it's empowering for women to be able to enjoy sex, be able to make money from sex. Wonderful. It just it can't ever be separated from that thing that you've been told yeah. by society and by your parents and by teachers at school and by everyone. It's in the and fabric of our culture. That you've been with, that oh yeah. You know that your job as a woman is to make is to be likable and to make people yeah. like you and to think about other people's feelings and other people's needs. And when the when thinking about other people's needs becomes a transaction instead mm. of just a natural thing that both parties should do in a relationship, that's where the problem is. I think. Yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that, and that is where I think that is where the horror of this yeah. film is. You know, and she is this. She is this admirable, incredible character. And yeah. She was very inspiring. Made me want to be a cam girl. Yeah, you know, because definitely. just because of that, you know, she's she's an artist. She's yeah. she's a director. She's yeah. she's incredible. She seems to have bought her own. You know, she's been renting yeah. her own spacious house. She yeah. she's this incredibly success. You know, she's very focused on her career. She doesn't have any romantic pre- preoccupations at all. No. There's no romantic story. She's line. focused. She's totally focused. Yeah. It's it's so. It's awe inspiring and it's it's jealousy inducing. If I if you know if I yeah. could have that focus, I know. It, the, it, the, it, I, I would get so that unwavering focus. Yeah. She never, you know, she never puts her phone down. No, she never stops. She's, she's a, on the ball. She is a true director. She's you know oh, she yeah. is a successful successful woman. She really is. She's amazing. Yeah. And that's the thing. She that's it, maybe that is it. That she is so she is so far away from me. And you know that my. My sense of purpose mm. is much more wavering than hers. But maybe it's also the fact that she, you know, it, it's precisely because she's the way she is. Mm-hmm. She's so in control and she's so, she's empowered and her autonomy is strengthened when she exercises her control over her content. Yes. It's precisely because of that, that when she's logged out of everything, mm-hmm. the impact of that truly is horrific. Yeah. When she, there she is, the image of herself out there, performing independently from herself, um, being very even more successful, and she has she's lost the connection with that. She has yeah. nothing to do with that anymore. All she can do is sit and witness that, and it's the fact that she is so strong-willed that mm-hmm. she sees that mystery through, and figures out what's going on, and even then goes to. The most brutal extreme measures yeah. to sever that kind of the, this independence, independent performance of herself out there, um, independent of herself. It's great. Like I love that ending. I, I loved. I loved the entire process because it felt yeah, like a procedural, like yeah. from, the, from the midpoint where she starts investigating. I love. I love a murder mystery. Me too. I love a, a you know. I love a, a true crime. I love an investigation. I Me love too. any kind of mystery solving. And to watch someone. In, be a detective on film yeah. is oh I love it I so can't get much. enough of it I can't get enough oh yeah I I want more and more Me do too. you think I've thought this a lot and I um I've written it down and I and I but I you know it's one of those thoughts where I've never got past the initial thought yeah but do you feel like there is some connection between film and detecting just being a detective absolutely because I feel like a lot of directors are obsessed with being detective. Like Carol Morley, yeah. for example, is very is very obsessed with that. You know, this this is this is a detective film. You know, yeah. she's a detective, and that's oh, yeah. another reason why she's so why she's such an incredibly attractive character. Because yeah. detectives in films are always are always the you know they're, they're so resourceful. You yeah. know, Sherlock Holmes is so sexy. Uh, you know, yeah. like all of the police dramas, detective, detective. All you know, Gillian uh, Anderson and the four. They're all so <gasps> sexy and they're all so attractive, and you want to be them so much. And they have endless curiosity, yeah. and they, they're so they become so obsessed with what they want to find exactly, out. Exactly, and that's it. Maybe that's maybe that is there is that. I mean, it's obviously yeah that obsession. You need yeah. obsession to be a director, and you need obsession to be a detective. I think she was always a detective mm. even before the central drama occurred because she was forensically analyzing the performance of her competitors. Yeah. She wanted to know what they were doing that that got them the top ranking mm-hmm. and what was it that she was lacking and how can she adapt her performance um, and actually evolve her own performance. She was never... 
it's interesting. She never wanted to copy anybody. She wasn't gimmicky. She she just wanted. She was after something else. Yeah. She was after a certain quality um, that some 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 of her you know competitors possessed that she also wanted to embody. Um, and so that I liked because I'm a little bit like, yeah, the question what you just asked, what is the relationship in terms of the the detective persona mm-hmm. and its relation to film? Maybe it is the, the, the persona. Of it's the a persona. But it's, I think it is also the process, the research process. Oh, absolutely. The, yeah, absolutely. The finding, the finding something, finding something out. Finding something out. I mean, Freud famously, Sigmund Freud said that the 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 process of the psychoanalyst is tantamount to detective work. That every psychoanalyst is really a detective mm-hmm. of the mind. Kind of like we've arrived after the fact, and we're looking at the you know the so-called crime scene yeah. or the the landscape of the mind as it is right now, following many traumas and many repressed incidents. None of this makes sense right now on the surface. It's all a big mystery. Mm-hmm. But we're just going to take our time and work back, like trace back events and identify earlier events that might have caused all of this. Um, I mean, one of my former professors, um, Danny Nobis, who's a Lacanian, he said that he believes that the writers of Inspector Morse are all Freudian because oh. because Inspector Morse he, he believes that he, that Morse is actually almost textbook Freudian yeah. in some of the stuff that he does and says and some of his theories uh, approaches to the human mind and stuff. So yeah, like she really fulfilled that for me. Like yeah, her character, I think that is what it was about her that she was that she was being a detective, and that's why I fell so madly, yeah, madly in love. With me this too. Film. I and I love her and the way that she studies internet content. Like I really relate to that because I watch. It's just so nice to, some, to see someone making a film about the internet. And I, I said, yeah. you know, when we interviewed them, that I was genuinely confused about what was a real space and what was a chat room yeah when she goes into that house of house of the cam girls oh yeah i thought that i i genuinely thought that they were all just together in a in a chat room or they were all together in a video call or something <laughs> like that and it what it, i was just like that can't be a real place that's not that's not a real space it's a fantasy space this has to just be a, a physical a manifestation, physical manifestation of, a, of, a, of yeah. a virtual space but it, it wasn't but it felt like that i was very I suppose that really went really well in hand in hand with the film. I was very confused between what was real and what wasn't. Yeah, it further it, it kind of heightened this fantasy mm. element of the film. Yeah. By the way, you just said House of the Cam Girls. Somebody out there needs to make a film. House of the Cam Girls. <gasps> can you? No imagine? one else can do it. We thought of it. We thought of it. We thought of it. Copyright. Copyright. House of the Cam Girls. Oh. Please, somebody, like, it we need to do amazing. it. Yeah, we need to like do it. a terrible reality TV show, but, like, one that I quite like to make. Um, <laughs> Something like Suspiria meets, you know... Um, meets, like, The Bachelor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that would be We're amazing. so doing this. But, yeah, it's just an extraordinary film because this is this is now, like, a legitimate subgenre of thriller and horror. Like, what's going on on the internet? I mean, there's stuff, like, on Netflix unfriended mm-hmm. um there's this film called searching i really want to see that me too i think we need to review that Ooh, okay for let's watch podcast. that it's probably streaming by now yeah it's in the cinemas in like the summer yeah i think yeah that looked really really good and we're I did, told it's very good i do want to see unfriended as well i really i want to watch a lot of films about unfriended the internet. is amazing is it good is it very scary i thought it was terrifying yeah i think i'd watch it in the daytime yeah <laughs> um okay yeah so it's I exciting it's exciting to see it's really nice to see yeah and again i think i unconsciously mentioned The Love Witch and we just screened it at my film club so it's on my mm. mind I've been looking at it a lot but I think it does it does actually fit in with that those films are these both these films are very inspiring in the sense of, of just watching a woman work yeah. watching a woman do, do watching a woman create if yeah. you're a woman and you're an artist and you are struggling for some inspiration watch Cam watch The Love Witch yeah. watch women just beautifully make things and it yeah. will make you feel if, if not as motivated as these characters and they did mention Black Swan as a mother yeah, of dogs yeah that's right and I actually I listened to a, a Switchblade Sisters yeah. someone 
someone chose that film as their film to talk about ah. and said, you know, I, I, I really identify with perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And I thought, ah, oh, I, I never, I didn't thought, I never thought of Black Swan as a film about a perfectionist. Now I see that it is. Mm. But it doesn't inspire me in the same way as these films do because Black Swan is about a person yeah. that bends over backwards to fulfill someone else's vision. Yeah. Her mother and her artistic director. Exactly. You know, these, yeah. and, uh, but this is, you know, the Love Witch and Cam are people that, the bend of backwards to create worlds mm. that fit in with their their vision of mm -hmm. what they want. You know? Absolutely. Um, and Cam, it's all more inspiring because it's not about love, no. which is so rare for a film about a woman. Yeah. yeah, and it's, in a way, I mean, this is the ultimate, it's kind of paradoxical because it's, it's in the Cam girl world, mm. but she doesn't give a fuck about what men think of her no. really that's all and it just kind of goes against that idea of actually making people you know that what i what yeah. my worry about having to make people like me yeah. to you know to do a job like that she doesn't actually care if they like her really no you know they she cares that they like her for you know the 10 minutes that she's performing but she's she's very much engrossed in this world of the, the kind of feminine energy mm. and but she's very competitive and she wants to be in amongst the top of the creators in that universe. Yeah. And even those scenes of the cam girls all together mm. and there's this really bitchy <laughs> one actually played by the Love Witch actress, yeah. Samantha Robinson. Yeah. Um, I still I you know, I still really enjoyed just all yeah. of these women on screen. And, you know, there is this even in their competition and their bitchiness, there's this sort of solidarity. Absolutely. Um, it's really I don't know, I thought it was really I nice. love this film. Yeah. This is this is possibly my favourite film of the year. Mm. I'm I mean, we've seen a lot of really good films this year. Yeah. But I love this one touched me so deeply. I loved it so much. I we want to know what you guys think of it too. Yeah, we want to know what you think, and you will get another, you know, you know, get another chance to hear us talk about Cam when we do our 2018 roundup because yes. it will definitely get a mention we'll in that as well. Mention. We have to figure out a top ten, maybe a top five, yeah. depending. Probably a top five because it was top ten. We talk for three hours. <laughs> we do know we have a tendency to do that. But yeah, go and see Cam and tell us what you think. Yeah, and listen to our interview. Yeah, and follow us on Twitter. And Instagram. And Instagram. And email us. And <laughs> I just just try and get in touch with us any way you Show can. Show us the love. Show us the love. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Projections. We are absolutely delighted to have here with us Daniel Goldhaber and Issa Massey. Uh, we've, we've been so delighted to see Cannes in the London Film Festival, and we're so happy to have both of you here joining us for a chat about your film. And Sarah and I were saying that this really is like the ultimate projections film. <laughs> it really captures the mood of our podcast, so we're really happy that you're here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for speaking to us. Um, so you, we should probably explain projections to you a little bit. It's a podcast about film and psychoanalysis. Um, so we do series where we take a theme and, and sort of explore it over six weeks with different films. We just finished one on uh, mental illness, uh, representations of mental illness in cinema. So we did anxiety, depression, psychosis, borderline, narcissism, and, and psychopathy with all these different films. And now that we're in the middle, we're sort of doing reviews and interviews while we prepare for our next series. Basically, so your film really appealed to us because it just felt like it was full of Freudian things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I suppose our first question is um, is one of genre because we really love horror and we wondered if you actually if you intended Cam as a horror film or if that's what you thought of it as. We thought of it as more of a thriller, mm -hmm. but we definitely intended for it to be genre and have horror elements. I think the process is it's a drama. It's just scary. You know, because it's, it's, and I think that, we, you know, we're using, I think, genre iconography and genre narrative structure and, and, and kind of bringing the audience into what feels like a genre experience. But I think that, that, um, you know, even in the narrative arc of the film, it's, 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 it's challenging kind of standard horror tropes in a lot of ways. There's not a lot of kind of conventional jump scares. And I think that at least in process, First and foremost, it was about the character and her journey and the ideas behind, you know, uh, the different themes uh, that we wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting how your film also seems to fit into this tradition of 
um, replicated women, replaced women uh, in film, following on from Amar Bergman's persona and um, separate wives to always shine in Black Swan. And in these films, there's always an ambivalence between the horror and the relief of someone else taking control and uh, making the best of your out of your life. And the kind of, I guess, the uncanny feeling of witnessing someone else leading the life that you want to lead and this doubling effect. Um, is this duality something that you meant to portray in Cam? Um, yes, absolutely. I think that, you know, more than just grappling with, you know, this fracturing of herself and her digital identity, um, I wanted her to kind of um, explore this feeling of this loss of, of autonomy and that, you know, this is an, an exact image of herself and she has no control over it. And that's absolutely terrifying. And in a way also, you know, Lola is better at camming than Alice. She earns more tokens, she has more viewers, her rank goes way higher. But, you know, I wanted to kind of explore the hollowness of that because it's, for all intents and purposes, you know, Alice could have sat back and said, oh yes, look, I am now number one, I am the best cam girl. And instead, she's fighting tooth and nail to get her show back because because there is this kind of emptiness in that in that replication because it's not her it's not and her. it's not her work. Mm -hmm. I just think it's something that I actually just kind of registered for me is the idea that, you know, uh, we never actually say that Alice is not getting money from Lola's performance. So, you know, again, I think that, that we don't know whether or not this thing is even sucking up her income. You know, I think that, that it, and I think that it's really interesting that people don't ask that question of the movie because I think at first we, we were, okay. you know, in the screenwriting stage, we were wondering, oh, do we do we need to make it clear that that's the case? And I think it's interesting that people are so so relate to her feeling of of of, uh, of loss of identity, dislocation, and loss yeah. of identity that they're not even cared about the financial component. They they really just care about the violation. I wow, think that's really that's interesting. Following so uh, we see, there's this wonderful scene where we see Alice uh, forensically studying the persona of her top-ranking uh, webcam rival mm -hmm. baby, and she even tells her, her cat that she's studying. <laughs> um, and it's interesting how the kind of digital, um, the creation of her digital doppelganger, however, may, however way it's being created, whether it's through some internet al algorithm, um, it's, it's this kind of nightmarish manifestation of how detached she becomes from herself, right? Um, in order to pursue this top-ranking spot. And I find that really interesting because at first, it's that relationship between how she perceives her rival, baby, mm -hmm. who's at the, in the top spot, um, that's kind of on, you know, the, the central piece of the, you know, sort of uh, feature of the beginning. And then that is then replicated through this doubling of herself. And I just... Really, maybe it's more of a comment, really, but I found that really extraordinary, and it had uh, element. It was very Lynchian, uh, particularly when um, she imagines that they're in the house. Um, you know, Lola and Baby are in the house, and they're walking through her bedroom door, and she she tries to stop them from entering in. That really reminded me of Naomi Watts in uh, Mulholland Drive when she's like pushing against the door and she's trying to stop the this kind of brunette doppelganger from trying to come in. It's really interesting. It's really powerful. Really scary. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Were there sort of other films that you watched in prefer you know while you were writing um, this? So many. I think um, two two that come to mind that were huge inspirations for Alice are Whiplash and Black Swan. Um, I really wanted to um, take from, you know, those two protagonists who are both, you know, pushing themselves to the limit for their craft and kind of translate that like almost sports movie kind of uh, tone into Alice's work, you know, have her be ambitious, show the behind the scenes um, machinations of what she puts into this this work that is her absolute passion. So those were, were two inspirations. Um, we watched a lot of Cronenberg. Um, for a lot of the horror elements, um, Videodrome, Existence, or uh, Dead Ringers, those were all huge influences. 
And then something else that was really um, an exciting opportunity that can be offered up from a formal filmmaking perspective and as a director, it's kind of the way we think about the authorship of the movie is the vision is shared kind of equally between us, the idea of what is this movie, what is it accomplishing, you know, how are we expressing that at every step of the way, that was shared and, and kind of, you know, we like to say it's 100% mine and 100% Issa's, but we each had kind of our individual crafts in the film, you know, I kind of was running the directing and Issa was running the writing from kind of a just, you know, every Everybody has a craft on a film from the DP to, you know, and so one of the things that as a director that was really exciting to me was um, the opportunity to portray the internet in a way that I don't feel like it's ever been seen before in a film, um, because it's really exciting to, to use your phone. Um, and, and I'm totally addicted to my phone. It's super hyper-stimulating. And yet, when I see a phone come out in a movie, I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be super boring. And, and so, I, we really, really wanted to be able to, you know, get into Alice's experience of being in a, uh, in a hyper-stimulated environment and in an addictive environment. And so, you know, we were also really looking at movies like Requiem for a Dream and the way that Darren Aronofsky kind of uses these, like, hyper-stimulated cut-ins to portray addiction and stimulation of a different sort, but also films like Unfriended that are kind of investigating, and, and Girl with a Dragon Tattoo that are investigating how do you kind of represent the internet and digital experience in a really cinematic way. And so we were kind of thinking of, you know, the, the, the formal construction of the movie. We're like, what happens if you took Unfriended and chopped it up in a Requiem for a Dream, like montage capacity to have it feel, and then, you know, the sound design also bringing that in so that it's all kind of working in unison and getting that to all kind of work throughout a film where you have to really think that 50 minutes of the movie is a uh, girl screaming at the television um, <laughs> and wanting that to feel exciting but also it's coherent. Yeah, yeah, but, to, yeah, but also some, coherent, as you say. Yeah, it's, in that, it, it, the editing process took a full year from start to finish between cutting, building all the assets, doing all the visual effects, because there's a thousand visual effect shots in the movie, and then onto the sound design, which is so intricate, because that website and how you kind of understand how it's talking to Alice, mm -hmm. that's all just through kind of the way the tits are slightly manipulated, slightly louder, slightly more complex. Yeah, when you're camming, you get, um, I had almost like a Pavlovian response to the tip sound, so we wanted to train the audience similarly where you're getting addicted to this sound and you want to hear it over and over and over again just like when you are camming you do feel a rush every time you hear that sound because that sound needs money yeah the internet's good at money sounds i get that with right, someone bids on one of my ebay items they, they make that sound as well and there were moments in the film where i was confused about what was a real space and what was a virtual space like the the cam girl's house yeah. i there was a point i think while i was watching it i thought it was real and there was a point later in the film where i thought it was just a chat room and I would I'd been tricked you know it seemed like a space that didn't exist because it was so hyper perfect and hyper feminine and amazing so Lola at uh, one point in the film uh, when she becomes really preoccupied with her ranking spot uh, and she wants to break the top 50 and the top 40 etc she decides to use certain uh, tactics uh, like going to the kind of controlled uh, club uh, where um, uh, people are, are camming live, um, and and she decides with her friend Fox to use is it the Vibratron? Vibratron, yes. Yeah. yeah. And she's warned several times that uh, this particular device uh, will quote destroy her clit <laughs> and leave her without sensation. Um, and the scene where she uses the Vibratron on camera occurs exactly before the the kind of uh, shift occurs, where um, there's we see that the following morning after that event, um, we, she's now frozen out of her account, uh, she can no longer access, etc. So it's as if she's been, it's not just her physical body that's been uh, kind of, you know, she's lost sensation, but she's been literally frozen out of, of, of accessing this, this image of herself, her, her creative input, um, how she portrays herself, her activity, her, being, her status as being live. And I just found that interesting because the way that you film that scene, uh, we see her kind of, because she says she doesn't fake her orgasms, so mm -hmm. she's hardcore, she doesn't, she wants to give authentic content, she doesn't want to fake it, and so because this machine is so hardcore, she stays with it and she has an authentic orgasm, and, I, and that's when the shift occurs. And I thought, I, I wondered what you had really intended with it. Yeah, I definitely wanted to have that, um, you know, to demonstrate her ambition 
through this Vibratron scene where, yes, despite being warned, she's still she's still going to do it. She's still going to push herself. And ultimately, she's very successful. She jumps in the ranks, a huge jump. And what I love about that scene is that her orgasm is not because of the men. It's not because of the sex machine, even. It is purely because of professional success. Right. <laughs> and that's actually what gets her off. That's true. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, a point I'm trying to make yeah. where it's like, and, and, and I love that, and I love I love that there, and, and you know we've set up that she doesn't fake her orgasms, and so this this authentic pleasure that she's receiving from this career success, um, I think is something that was really important for me to get across. And then you know again, and then she wakes up the next morning, and her account is gone, and it's almost that much more violating because she has all of a sudden made this huge stride and this huge leap forward, and we're she's on this high. And then we take it away, and we say, no, you don't have control over that anymore. And so it was really just to create that kind of fall and, and, and really illustrate that drop to kind of just really bring the audience inside of how kind of that gut-wrenching feeling of, of realizing that she doesn't have access to this thing anymore after such a, such a thrill. Yeah. And I think that something that I, I kind of heard you hinting at is the idea of, like, is losing her account, you know, uh, is that linked to the five patrons mm -hmm. that you know and and I think that that um, uh, it is something that we kind of I think that is really smart about Issa's script is in that kind of first moments where she's locked out of her counter kind of like is this happening in her head and yeah. that's like a really smart way to kind of get the audience kind of in this moment of like oh is it because of the vibratron is it and then ultimately it has nothing to do with no, it exactly. and and so i think it's a really great kind of like really smart writing that kind of is keeping the audience guessing because as i was kind of saying that's where almost the conventional film goes is that oh the sex worker pushes her boundaries and she has to pay the cost for it because she goes crazy and it's not that at, all. That at all and i yeah. think that it's 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 really cool that that it's it's you know, I think it's one of the most impressive things about Issa's script is the way that she kind of gets you going in that genre direction. That, no, we don't get to go over there. We're going we're gonna to tell this other kind of story. If anything, it challenges uh, the kind of warnings that she's receiving from her colleagues that, oh, be careful, you're going to lose sensation. You know, this kind of, mm -hmm. this attitude that's out there about excess, you know, excessive female pleasure. And mm -hmm. we're warned against that as women being brought up in a society. And, mm -hmm. and it's the fact that she's, uh, as you say, committed. She, for her, there's an artistic vision and there's mm -hmm. creative authenticity and she, she pursues that. Um, and I mean, clearly Alice Push, I mean, the, 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 for her, her show is her faking a suicide as first, yeah. you know, she clearly is someone that pushes, yeah, the boundaries, you know, pushes the boundaries in, in all areas, and so, yeah, I wanted to, you know, consistent, keep that thread consistent, where she is, she is just very ambitious. I wanted to ask about where this, this sort of staged suicides came in, because I thought that was sort of an interesting mirror that it started with this staged, this staged sort of self-mutilation and kind of ended with a real one, mm -hmm. and I just, I wondered what that was, what that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, quite literally that idea came uh, out of a conversation that we had about a show that I wanted to do on my own show, mm -hmm. um, which was, I was, um, at that point in my career, I was doing a lot of um, kind of BDSM type shows, and um, I was submissive, and when you are a submissive online, it's interesting because there are people that engage with the kink very respectfully, and they are, you know, engaging in the power play in a way that feels very authentic. And then there are people who, you know, it's the internet. There's two thousand people watching you. Some of them are engaging authentically, and then of course there are some that you start to think, oh, they're just wa they are here for the spectacle, or they are just here to actually see me hurt myself. Mm -hmm. And it's not about the power play. It's not about this kink. It's about harm and pain and kind of the, the, the spectacle and the exotification of that. And so um, there were a lot of people that would, you know, push me during these shows to places that I didn't want to go and that were not engaging respectfully. And I think, you know, at some point I think, I think I said offhandedly, like, these people actually want me to kill myself. And out of that came this idea that we had this discussion about actually doing a fake suicide show where um, the room would tip me to kill myself. And I, it was more of a, a performance art than anything to say, well, will the internet pay me to kill myself or will they pay me to save myself? And, and what will happen? Because ultimately I didn't know and I kind of wanted to start engaging with the, these instincts that we have online to harm each other and kind of see where that would go. And so her suicide, you know, came out of that. Oh, that's interesting. It kind of, um, it sort of reminded me of that thing that Zizek says about the scene in Fight Club where you, to sort of succeed you have to kill the thing in your in yourself that's holding you back. It looked, felt a little bit like, it felt quite a liberating mm -hmm. moment. Well, I think that, that, that kind of to drive it like that and what you're talking about is the movie opens with a, a 
fake suicide and poses with a moment of real mutilation, and there's a moment of digital mutilation in the middle that, you know, that was that was the structure of the story from the beginning, but it opens with Alice being a cam girl who kind of doesn't really know the difference between herself and her persona. They're kind of blurred. She's, she's trying to figure it out, and so it's fake. You know, her persona is fake. And then when she loses her autonomy, uh, you know, that's kind of personified in this kind of the midpoint of the movie, in this digital moment of violence that is just absolutely horrifying because all of her power has been taken away from her, all of her agency over her own body has been taken away from her. That's the lowest point of that, is this moment of digital violence, and at the end she reclaims that power by destroying the thing that links her to the computer and ultimately also destroying the computer because the one thing that she has over the computer is that she exists in a you know in a real state. She has an actual body and 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 I think that you know that's not only getting at the idea about you know how we can reclaim our humanity over kind of digital technology, what's the difference there, but also about you know Alice kind of reckoning with the fact that you know if she when she does return to Cam, she doesn't need to, you know, she can solely be a performer on Cam. And that's kind of, you know, when she yeah. goes back, she's going back in kind of this very fantastical way where she's kind of this kind of, she's trying to be herself and validate herself at the beginning of the movie. By the end of the film, she's learned that she simply can validate herself as a performer. Yeah. Um, and that this isn't about, you know, that, 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 that she's kind of come to her own in a certain way. And so I think that, you know, we were really looking to the work of, you know, somebody like Cronenberg who uses body horror and genre moments that are not only kind of narratively fused with the story, but that are kind of really intricately fused with like what the character is going through and kind of marking the kind of character's progression through a film, but is also, you know, deeply thematically linked with with the film in some capacity, in this case kind of, you know, Alice's um, overall arc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it felt very, I don't know, I just felt it it was a very kind of comforting film and that it mirrored just like the process of growing up. It yeah. ended, I really liked that conversation between her and her mother where she says, what if, what if it happens again? And she says, well, then I'll open a different account. And I'll it just seemed like this learning of resilience that kind of happens mm -hmm. to us all as we experience setbacks. So mm. I, I experienced it as a really com like comforting film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're the only person to say that it was comforting. <laughs> <laughs> I experienced most kind of thrillers and horror that way. I love horror and horror, very comforting. Yeah, yeah it's very cathartic. It is, it is. Right? Yeah. <laughs> sort of surviving something until the end. Is, yeah. is very, I think it's very good for you. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, and also just the fact that, uh, you know, we've been talking about already perform performance and personas. Um, and for me in particular, the, the middle section where she gets frozen out and locked out, locked out of all her accounts and she can't access her work anymore. It feels like very Kafka-esque. Mm -hmm. She's entered this kind of uh, sort of existential maze leading nowhere, um, this sort of psychological vice grip. And it's very frustrating and she comes out with different tactics and... And I guess one thing that occurred to me is that the film opens, when, when we first see her coming, um, she, the very first comment that she makes is about how, um, how she doesn't wear makeup, she's not good at it, and she tried to wear mascara, mm -hmm. and she, she um, nearly stabbed herself in the eye a few times. And it's the fact that initially makeup is not that so much part of her performance. And we see that her mother is, she owns a beauty um, salon and um, she's always trying to give her little tips and sort of lipstick tubes. And, and then towards the end, uh, makeup actually plays a big role there. Mm -hmm. And it's a big part of the new persona that she's created. This kind of almost um, sort of suit of armor that she wears, maybe a, is it a, like a barrier between herself? I, I yeah, I mean, that. I, yeah, it's, it's part of, it's again, just like we, we talked about, it's part of her journey where in the beginning, you know, there isn't necessarily such a strong distinction between mm -hmm. Alice as Alice and Alice as performer. And when she is online, she's like, I'm going to be real. I'm not going to fake my orgasms. I'm not, you know, there, there's not a lot of, uh, she's trying to be as authentic as possible, but in that she's kind of lost this distinction between self and, and performative self. And so, you know, through the process of destroying her face and then at the end, you know, wearing all this makeup and having the wig and the yeah. fake nails, it kind of is, it is, it is a protective barrier of this literal, this is the performance that I am doing. And this, and then when I leave this space, I am now, I'm Alice and, and the two are separate. And so that's kind of like the lesson that she learns at the end, I think, is this distinction between the self and performative. A clear demarcation. A clear demarcation. Yeah, and exactly. And makeup, I think, is a, is a really, a really cool way to symbolize that and, and that's kind of why we had that in there. Wow. Yeah. We were also quite struck by the idea of um, your 
you never never being off duty or your work never being finished. She just does say something like, if she is going to be successful, she has to be online twenty four hours a day. And I wondered, is there a is that something that's specific to cam girls, or is there a larger idea in that 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 I mean, we're think, all working I, all the time? Yeah, I think there's a larger idea for that. Just for all of us online in general, all the time. I think we're always on Snapchat or Instagram, or you're snapping your breakfast and putting it online and. And I think that there is this fear of, you know, of missing out if you're not constantly checking your phone, this fear of, um, you know, mattering less if you're not updating your Facebook all the time. And, you know, I think for, for cam girls or for anyone who, who works online, it, it's quite literal to measure that because you've had, that's where your income is coming, coming from, that's where your followers are coming from. And so it's, it's quite easy to say, oh, well, if I don't work this week, I'm not going to make any money and, you know, I need to work more hours. But I think, I think we all feel it to some extent. I know for, I definitely feel it. If I don't Instagram for like a few days, I start to worry, well, are people going to think I'm boring? Are they going to unfollow me? You know, I need to constantly be creating new content. And I think even, even with any media online, there's this constant pressure to constantly be generating new content, new headlines, new clickbait, new videos. Um, you know, people are, you know, quote unquote content creators now. And so, and so there's absolutely that, those anxieties that I, I think is pretty universal in, in this day and age. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we just wanted to ask you some general stuff because I, I read that you guys have been working together for quite a long time mm -hmm. and I just wanted to sort of know a little bit about how you started and your process when you collaborate. Yeah, um, the process is, is we just yell at each other and eventually <laughs> we stop. Uh, and yeah. whenever we, we get tired, that's that's when we've kind of reached a consensus. Uh, we have a therapist. Yeah, we have a good couples counseling. We're not we're not a couple, but we, we need a couples therapist to like manage us a little bit. I think that's very wise. Um, but that's that's part of where the, the creative energy comes from is, yeah. is we, we really wind each other up in different ways and then I think that we 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 neither one of us will rest until the idea is a hundred percent we both, want we it both to be. have to like it and I think I think that helps because you know I trust that if, if I'm in love with an idea and I think it's amazing if I can't convince him then it, I know it's not actually that good and I think it goes both ways yeah. and so we'll fight to the death but ultimately I think it produces better work because we both have that trust that we know if we agree on something then it then it's going to be at least not bad <laughs> if not good and, and I think it's part of the fun of this process of you know because we're doing our next film together in a similar creative capacity to Cam, uh, where, where, you know, Ease is writing, I'm directing, Ease is producing, and we're co-authoring the film. And, and I think that what's really cool about the collaboration is that in so many ways, you know, a, so much of the process is coming up with a shared language and a shared understanding of really, really difficult ideas, both from a thematic standpoint, a character dramatic standpoint, and a, you know, it's a standpoint of how the film is being communicated formally. And again, then we kind of both off, go off and do our own jobs on it, but it's that process of, I think, delving into these really tough ideas together and, and kind of keeping each other honest in that process and, 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 you know, kind of digging and digging and digging and digging until we literally hit rock bottom that feels kind of so uh, satisfying at the end. Yeah. Uh, well, your collaboration really comes across in your film. It's really exciting to hear that you're coming out with a new project. Yeah. We'll be looking very, uh, with a lot of excitement. Um, and you, I think you already have, uh, even, you know, with this first film, you have, like, really honed a very autorial vision because it's a very distinctive language and it's very groundbreaking in the techno horror subgenre. So it's really cool. Even though it's not a horror, it's a thriller. Yeah. <laughs> it's whatever you want it to be. I, I don't yeah. even know. Yeah. I think you've kind of gotten lost of what a horror film yeah. is. And, you know, on some level I'm saying it's a scary drama, but isn't that kind of what a horror film is? And it's, <laughs> no. it's, it's hard to know. You know, I think that people are scared of the horror label. And that's a I think that's why we just yeah. want to promote it as much as possible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's so it snobby about it. Yeah. 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 Sometimes I call it a horror and people are like, well, it's not really that scary. And then I feel bad. And then other I'm times like, you call oh. it a thriller and people are like, I was terrified. And then, wow. I think we don't know. But we love horror and we would yeah. be honored to be referred to as a horror film. So. It's, a, it's a movie that I think the best, the, one of the things I love the most about it is people bring what they bring to it. Sure. And they get out of the experience what they get out of it and, and, and it's 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 and I think that that's great because I think that you know it's cool to have a movie that plays for one audience like a horror film and another audience like a comedy and another audience like a thriller and another audience yeah like people a laugh a lot yeah good. we wanted that but it's but like good. we screened it in Spain recently and they really played like almost a comedy there and it, it's it's oh, really interesting, interesting. Yeah. 
and they were laughing a ton, and then other audiences silent. So it's it's, it's you know it's 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 weird. Um, but uh, well, thank I'm you so much. Um, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I'm currently teaching a women in horror films course, oh, awesome. and I'm going to be recommending your film to my students. Oh, thank you. And we're going to be uh, releasing this episode of Projections Podcast uh, to time to sort of chime in with the release of your film Cam on Netflix, mm -hmm. uh, which is imminently. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're really delighted to have you on. It's been really interesting talking to you. Thank you so much. Did you have any other comments? No, I'm, unless you can give us a hint of what your next project is. Or <laughs> yeah. is it top secret? It's, we'll say it's a, a female-led horror. Okay. About the uh, same about serial, serial killer. <gasps> oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's lovely. I'm so excited <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> No. <laughs> I was gonna make a joke that she was like killing different like serial mascots. So, like no, Captain right. Crunch goes first, and then you have Count Chocula. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Fruit Loops. What Fruit Loops. The, the Toucan. Yeah. Um, Toucan Sam. I haven't made that joke yet and I'm never going to make it. Thank you so much. That's a great joke to end on. Thank you very much.